Uh, Fats Domino on piano. That's Lloyd Price. Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, tasty the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude, located right here in Lower California. We're just off the bowling alley near the Koi Pond. <laughs> the putting, Unmistakable piano. Right? The putting green's just finished. Hi, how are you, lady? Pretty good, thank you. Look, it's Jennifer, everybody. Hello. Mm. We're having a drink and we're listening to some... I don't even know what you call this. Is this rhythm and blues? I think it's rock and roll before they called it rock and roll. I, very much so. From I mean, New Orleans. Thank you. Oh, to be sure, with that, and um, uh, uh, everybody is heavy on this whole record because they brought in uh, the entire crew uh, to play from at Cosmo's uh, studio in New Orleans. And Dave Bartholomew helped put this record together. And it's just an astonishing opening record. It was so popular... And it's one minute and 51 seconds long. It was so popular, they drafted Lloyd Price immediately. And he said the draft board told him they had to get him out of America because he was integrating crowds too quickly. They, they, he, he would play this number in Earth 52, and they said they put a rope up to keep the yep. blacks on one side and water on the other. Because by after a couple numbers, uh-huh. the rope came down, and all of a sudden, oh my God, black people and white people are fraternizing. So they actually made him leave the country so yeah for being too popular they were gonna put him like uh uh, uh you know uh, they shipped him to korea which he was not excited about because he is having a very lucrative year that year and he had just broken out and he was young and um the amazing part is when he got back he won back his material oh my he got God. a lawyer he's a genius uh uh they, so they let him sing when he was there and he entertained the troops and like you say uh, diversions vary, but at some point during that period, he was advised by a lawyer. He got in control of his material. He was always in control of it after that. He's one of the few rock artists from that era. Uh, Dave Bartholomew being another, who was Fats' uh, co-producer and, and you know co-writer, um, that they got their money. But Chuck Berry didn't get his money. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis didn't get his money. Uh, you know, The record executive, Art Root, said, to his knowledge... It was the Lottie Miss Claudie was the first black hit record that wasn't intended to be a white record, but became a white record. Unlike previous black records that had been specifically designed for the white market, white kids began to buy this record beginning in the South. Yeah. Lloyd Price said that he started desegregation too soon for everybody. Like uh-huh. he said, the problem with the music was, as you just said, our group of specialty records out yeah. here and specialty when he was in Korea, Lloyd Price, picked up Little Richard, the same cat, and the same thing. They found him playing in a bar, like, uh, 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 to come across the street to do the audition. We told that story on the show. Mm-hmm. And he got signed a specialty. So when Lloyd Price came back, backseat, he was like, what? Little Richard broke on me while I was in Korea. I hate yeah, this. Yeah. And so... Lloyd Price was one of 11 kids. He was from Kenner. And has... Kenner's uh, outside of... Right outside of New of Orleans. New Orleans. And... Uh, his mom had a, a restaurant. With a great name. The Fry? What was it? Fish and Fry? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he listened to uh, records at home. It was, it was a big source of entertainment for his family. And he started uh, when he was working hauling ice to people's houses. Uh, he would go to a popular nightclub. And the family also owned a local grocery store. 
One side was called the Duke, and the white people's side was known as the Saloon. <laughs> he like he listened to the Duke, right? It was uh, Louis Jordan in those uh-huh. days. And, uh, uh, he says, I never knew I could sing, but I always had the love of music and a feeling I could do it. Well, when he got came back from Korea, he had 12 more hits. Oh, yeah. Including uh, in the late 50s. By the way, he was called Mr. Personality because he wrote the song Personality, too. He wrote a bunch of his songs. So when he came back, he had a giant record of Stagger Lee, which is another record that is basically a black folk tale from 100 years before. Yes. About uh, Stagger Lee's the gangster and he kills Billy and shoots him. And in his original version, there's lots of shooting and killing and bulldogs barking and whatnot. And then he had to clean it up when he played Bandstand because Dick Clark was like, I'm not really into the song where the chorus goes, he shot poor Billy down and all that. Which was being fussy, but also Dick Clark knew that the song was so popular that he had to have Lloyd Price on. Well, uh, Lloyd Price being uh, very uh, calm and considered, immediately rewrote lyrics to suit TV. Which we're not going to play, even though it is available. We're going to play the original Staggerly. And if you've never heard this, I was saying to Jennifer the other day, uh, when I was 10 or so, I became aware uh, that... um, uh, the, the the standard testing we were being given in school was culturally biased. And it was because I saw an article in a kid's thing. Surely not. Well, you know, I'm from St. Carlos, the whitest place on earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. Our Catholic church was called um, St. Charles. St. Carlos means St. Charles. That's how prejudiced we were. And uh, was that uh, it, instead of asking the kind of mundane questions they asked us as white suburban people, the, one of the questions was, who shot Billy? And of course, I'd heard the song because I loved oldies when I was little. And when we were little, or I was little, I don't know how old you were. Really? Um, in the 70s, everything was about the 50s. And so the first Lloyd Price record I think I heard that I owned was uh, Where Were You on Our Wedding Day? And Just Because. Because uh, it was on one of those, like, 20 terrific hits. And it had uh, Black Slacks by the Sparkle Tones and Soldier Boy by the jewels and, uh, and Lloyd Price because the 50s are his bailiwick. Baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he came back and he made this record, Stagger Lee. No one, including him, I don't think, expected it to be as explosive as it was. The night was clear. Oh, by the way, devilish good looking and stylish. That's right. another thing he had going. Well, he was known for his charisma. Yeah. When your name's Mr. Personality... <laughs> See where this is going. Yeah. 
It's like listening to an epic poem. It, it is like the, you know. It had been a minor hit by a pianist known as Archibald mm. in 1950. And uh, on this blog, which is 64 Parishes, he describes Lloyd Price as an inexhaustible fountain of energy and optimism. Mm. I mean, he... We were looking at photos of him performing, and it just Laying looks on like the ground yeah, without a shirt. He was no shoes, just no shirt, on the ground with people touching. Phenomenal. Him. Um, he was involved in all sorts of things. He really wanted uh, to transform uh, black lives, mm-hmm. and he uh, was involved in organizing international uh, sporting events. We didn't realize. Rumble in the Jungle and the Thrill instance. of Manila. He right. co-produced both of Madonna King. Yeah, um, he constructed housing. Uh, he had a food product line marketed specifically to uh, African American audience. Managed Wilson Pickett. Yeah, had a record company. Right. Had a nightclub. Yeah. It, Moved to Africa. What? Moved to Nigeria right. he was in the seventies. Nigeria. Uh, he came back and toured with. Um, Little Richard mm. and Gary U.S. He Bond. had a giant tour in the 90s with them. He, his partner was killed, and that's when he moved to New York, and that part's really... He, that's when he moved to Africa. I mean, Africa, when he moved to Nigeria. He, they were in New York with the nightclub, and someone came into the office and shot Mr. Logan, and it was like... And it was never solved. Well, that's the thing. Is I could, and We must have read 100 articles about it, and it's just no information about why that happened or whom. But clearly Lloyd Price split after that and then came back and had an enormously successful career as an entrepreneur. And as you say, management, house building, there was mm-hmm. really nothing he didn't have a in, hand in. In the uh, New Orleans uh, Times-Picayune, it says, uh, he was far more than an engaging entertainer. He was unusually independent for his time, running his own record label even before such stars as Frank Sinatra did the same holding on to his publishing rights and serving as his own agent and manager. Yep. I think he's a, a little, not underrated, but he said, I revolutionized the South. Before Lottie Miss Claudia, white kids weren't interested in this music. And also, the reason why I played so much of Stagger Lee, Jennifer, is every verse you can see where it's going. They're having a fight, mm-hmm. they're gambling. Mm-hmm. He threatens him. He goes home and gets his gun. He comes back. Billy says, don't kill me. I've got three kids and a sickly wife. And then Stagger Lee shoots poor Billy. And... It's it's um, a tale, like a folk tale, that white kids want bananas for. Mm-hmm. And it was a giant hit. And even though they made him change it when he sang it on Bandstand, the, the significance of it is he had four hits in the top ten that year, in one year, in 1959, which is the year that the first stereo record came out, which is Splish Splash by Bobby Darin. So it's an enormous year in rock and roll. Elvis is gone, and there's all these cats getting in there. But for a black artist to be as um, self-realized and have as much control over his career as he did as as, as any artist from the 50s, Mm -hmm. but especially a rhythm Mm -hmm. and blues artist because the Chess Brothers weren't giving out checks. No. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998 um, for someone who may have had the first rock hit. 
uh, yeah. Nationwide. Inventing it. And here's a song that was so huge for him that it was on commercials all the time when we were little. And you'll recognize it immediately if you've ever heard an oldie station or perhaps your mother or grandfather might hit you to it. It's called Personality. And I don't think Infectious begins with this one. <laughs> The New Orleans thing, too. Right. A party's gonna break out. The horns. Now he's got you, and now is where he hooks you. Just awesome. He was uh, also a philanthropist. Oh, yeah. And uh, apparently was watching what was happening last year and said that he was seething yeah. on his Facebook page. He uh, was described by Frank Sinatra as the most complete entertainer I have ever known. Isn't that fabulous? That, I don't, I guess, I, Underrated is not the way to put it. I think he wasn't celebrated as much because he wasn't in people's consciousness. Well, but the he things hadn't, that he, he had been touring in, no. a, in a long, long time. But his his influence, mm. my God, and what an exciting career. And to be able to do that many things and work with that many people. Um, Fats Domino at the very beginning, before Fats, what year is Fat Man? 49? Fats goes way back. Okay. It's all the way back. Well, and... We didn't lose Fats Domino and Fit uh, Bartholomew until when? Last couple of years. Dave last year and Fats, Fats uh, the year before. Um, and they were all in their late 80s and Lloyd Price was too. This song's record awesome because it's one verse and then the chorus 50,000 times. <laughs> and you better cut that personality part. Well, you can see him on YouTube and all those uh, oldies tours. When he comes out, he looks terrific. Then we were watching one the other day where, I swear to God, Huey Lewis and the News were hosting it. And Huey Lewis goes, it's a real honor. And he comes out and he sings personality. And the crowd just, just goes waste. banana. Yeah, but, because you don't have to know the words to that song. Because you've got personality. Smile. Yeah, it is. Um, anyway, Lloyd Price is most decidedly swirling in the heavens. And more than that. I think he's... Uh, he's going to be organizing. I was going to say, if the Angels don't have a choir, you know, an agent, that Peter's juking them on the pay, and listen, about the food we eat up here, mm-hmm. I can give you a... I got a sweet potato pie that will blow your <laughs> mind, and we can freeze it and then thaw it when we bring he, it. He uh, organized a band in Korea. Mm. I think he was a... Part of why he probably didn't want to do anything the last bunch of years of his life was that the first part was spent in furious activity for a million years. Mm-hmm. Doing When you move to Africa and become a boxing promoter, how 
hard do you have to be? What kind well, of people I are you? I, I think he, he organized the event, and the, yes. the musical event. Oh, yeah, which was extensive, as you yeah. call it. If you've ever seen The we Kings, it's Bill Withers. It's a, it's a wonderful movie. Oh, oh my God. And James Brown during the um, awesome mustache period, when it's We're Gonna Have a Funky Good Time. Uh, yeah. In any case, Lloyd Price is in the movie, and you can see him uh, if you want to see When We Were Kings. He's the good-looking dude at the end of the table, sitting there with Muhammad <laughs> Ali. This is a good quote, too. Uh, in the book Rhythm and Blues in New Orleans, it seemed that every record made in New Orleans over the next 18 months after Lottie Miss Claudie was based on that record. No kidding. <laughs> uh, I don't know if people have been watching Versus uh, during the uh, containment here. But, of course, there were some epically, 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 epic ones. The Isley Brothers versus um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, of course, uh, Philip. Philip, what did I just do? Gladys Knight and uh, um, uh, Patty LaBelle. That one was unbelievable. That one was really... And, of course, the Snoop Dogg one was pretty wild. And then, uh, who was it who came out it by himself? Snoop Dogg was with DMX. Was with DMX. Who was the... Who was the um, D'Angelo. D'Angelo came up by himself as a versus. That yeah. was amazing. Um, but last How week, do you battle yourself? Right? It was on Mother's Day, and it was... Oh, and Erica Badu and Jill Scott did the first uh-huh. one, too. I remember you and I watching at that time. Um, Xscape came out, and that's Candy Burris. You know her, the songwriter. She's on Housewives of Atlanta. And Tiny Harris, who's 4'11". Yes. Ergo, Latasha Scott and Tamika Scott. Uh, they're from Lana, and uh, they're a Jermaine Dupree thing, but they played a bunch of songs by lots of different artists, and the other group that was on was um, Xscape, and uh, it was really, really groovy, so I'm just going to play a little bit. Why was it so good? Because they were really, really um, supportive of one another, and everyone acted really lovely. They sang each other's songs, and then they all got up and sang together at the end. Everyone could really... It, it was, was a joyful. It was really smooth. Yeah, you know, it was just a very relaxing <clears throat> evening. I just thought it was uh, well. It was exactly what I was looking for, and some mellow. Oh yeah, and also out. Mother's Day. The only uh, yeah. Spinderella. Spinderella. Thank DJ. God we won't mention the other DJ. No. But the, it was really super, super mellow uptown soul for three hours. It's kind of hard to top every week uh, because well, it's, I, they were changing costumes now and they've got everybody <laughs> in. And I mean, it's just one step short of a giant live concert well, now. I like the uh, SWV. They, they were taking their shoes off. Oh, they yeah. were sitting on the stairs. They were like... It's intimate. Well, it was I, more like family, I a like family it, gathering. I like it better than a big live show because they do that and their families are there and they're sitting on the stage, like you say, and... Well, they talk and the everything. The one with uh, Jill Scott and Eric oh Badu was God. at the beginning of the pandemic, wow. and, and they were on Zoom, and it was it was each of them uh, up close and personal. Oh yeah, it made it very intimate. Oh, and then they start talking about relationships, and, and you know it was just great. Uh, you can get an idea of how drippingly smooth it was. And then here's um, Xscape with just kicking it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just 
I don't want anyone drifting off, so pay attention. <laughs> I could sense that you were smoking a joint in your car out there listening to this. And then the next thing you know, you're like, I don't need to listen to this anymore. Right? Now you're thinking about, I better go get some ice cream or edible or something. <laughs> we passed a couple on the street, and the woman was saying uh, to her significant other, are you going to eat that now? As they were getting into the car after having just left the dispensary. Well, I intend on coming on to this on the freeway about 30 miles from here, if that's all right with you. Well, I'm driving five miles an hour. Ooh, right? You'll find me in the right-hand lane. <laughs> <laughs> With this playing at top volume and going eight and a half MPH. When the highway patrol comes up behind you and tells you to speed up, <laughs> you know you've uh, bought some edibles. But that's California. More edibles and less shkadedibles. Less rage and silliness. There was an article in the LA Times uh, last week about uh, a blind woman uh, chef named Regina Mitchell who does Zoom cooking classes, uh, and it's called Blind Connect. It's through an organization in Nevada called Blind Connect, and uh, they share life skills. Um, and it made me think about. You know, the, the kinds of uh, needs for visually impaired cooks, it made me think about a, an article I'd been meaning to mention ages ago, which is I was looking up how to cook Jamaican mm -hmm. food. And I, and I found a, an article called How to Stock a Jamaican Kitchen by George Stern. And it was very funny. So I, I looked him up uh, because I thought it was quite well written and it turns out George Stern is a deaf blind man who lives in Texas and he's studying French and he is also studying jiu-jitsu and he's a founding member of an organization called Deaf Blind Citizens in Action how about that unbelievable that's uh, fantastic. Isn't it wonderful? And, and he's an he, expert cook of Jamaican food, is it? Well, he, yeah, he definitely knows his way around uh, and has very serious thoughts about every ingredient. He really knows what he's talking about. And uh, deafblind citizens in action are activists, and you can donate to them. You can look at uh, it's dbcitizens.org if you wanted to look at their. Uh, involvement, what they're doing. That's really cute, the, Hel the Helen Keller monument. Right. Because let's get, just to touch on this ever so briefly, Helen Keller wasn't just a little girl who was taught by a wonderful woman when she went to the academy. She was a feminist and activist for her entire life and was a wildly important figure in disabilities in America because she was tireless and proved to everyone by writing loads of books and going well, around the country. I was going to say, there's many other books. And being a public her. figure, you know, the kind that she was. She, she spoke out on every kind of topic and 
Yeah, we kind of left her in the film spelling out water. Well, it's it's easy for everyone to infantilize her and not let her be a woman. And then later, of course, she had a gigantic career as an international symbol and author. Yes. And so... A the, crusading figure. And she was deaf and blind. So it, it not only can it be done, it has been done, and at mm-hmm. the highest level. And this cat and this group is just fantastic to see how... Right, and, and they're, they're also uh, multi-ethnic. They're, you know, they're all-inclusive. Yeah. It's, it looks beautiful. Yeah, there's, there's uh, gay and straight people, trans people. It's, it's beautiful. So I just I wanted to highlight him, George Stern, because I had meant to earlier. And then when uh, the LA Times wrote that article... Um, it made me think about it. And the LA Times article was by Lucas Kwan Peterson about chef Regina Mitchell. An extraordinary obstacle to not be able to see when you're cooking. Because well, you used your other senses. Obviously. And she, was, she became blind later in life. Mm. It's just fantastic. Uh, what's the name of the group again? Deaf, Blind, Citizens in Action. DBC. I mean, it's beautiful for them to help each other. Yeah. Because how, you know, to understand their, what they would like. Just fantastic. Let's, uh, let's talk about Norman Lloyd for a second. Norman Lloyd uh, swirled off at 106. So 106? No tragedy allowed. He worked with Yves Le Gallien. He, he was an actor. He was a producer. The Mercury Theater, Wells, John Houseman. He was supposed to be in Citizen Kane, mm. but it was taking too long for him, and yeah. he quit the project. Yes. Um, I think uh, John Houseman was uh, instrumental in helping him along. Wasn't that... He, oh, after the when he couldn't, yeah, he was kind of blacklisted, uh, sort of unofficially. Uh-huh. Well, he started in the thirties on stage. The two great stories are his first memory is going to the World War One Veterans Victory Parade in nineteen nineteen when he was five, and then the next one is World War One. Yeah, um, my mother was born in nineteen nineteen. Norman Lloyd was born in nineteen fifteen and just had his hundred and sixth birthday. Um, and we just saw a clip on the local news. Of his 105th birthday yeah. party, where he had everybody from his neighborhood. And someone said, what's it like to be 105? And he went, I don't know, it's the first time I've done it. And uh, <laughs> just, so, his other next memory that I was reading about today was, he went to the 1928 World Series when he was a teen, a tween, and he saw Ruth. And the, um, yes, the Yankees just so you know, swept that series. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh in four games. And How did you not corner him and, and get that story? I don't know. We saw him about five, 2015, was it? At the TCM Film Festival. And he... I can't even remember what he was we presenting. Saw him, we saw him twice. Yeah. And uh, the the first time he, he was uh, talking about Saboteur. Yeah. Where he's the villain. He is, in fact, the saboteur. As I guess he liked to remind everyone. And what was that Begley's impression? Uh, Did a film with Hitch called Saboteur. <laughs> of course I played the Saboteur. <laughs> he bounded, and I'm not exaggerating, no. out of his chair and ran down the steps. Yeah. And he was 101 no. he, then? He, he gambled. He wasn't there. wearing glasses. He wanted everyone or to a know hearing aid. Uh-uh, that he could hear, see, and run, and he recollected everything instantly. It, w- it was uh, completely intimidating. As Sam, uh, uh, oh, I just blanked on Sam's 
name on KTLA. Are, he's so lovely. The, the entertainment reporter on KTLA, Sam, uh, who I'm friends with, or I say I am, but <laughs> no. now, of course, I've... Uh, in any case, he, he said he was razor sharp to the end, and he absolutely was. And Well, it, it, his stories. He had so... Sam Rubin? Oh, Rubin, Sam Rubin. Uh, I've only done Sam Rubin's show like 15 times. Uh, Sam Rubin is a lovely guy, and entertainment reporters in L.A., tend to be pretty nice, but he he did a very lovely tribute to uh, Norman Lloyd. He seemed to genuinely love him. Oh, there was interviews, there was recollections, there was the live footage from they the party. They were neighbors, yeah, which and he was, was really neighbors. cute. And they said that on the block, his neighbor threw a party every year for uh, Norman Lloyd. So they would have a giant birthday. So 99, 100, 101. Well done, Norman Lloyd. When we saw him, he was 100 or 101. I think he was 101. And he ran. Like I said, I have terrible hearing and I can't see anything. And he... What could, did Max von Sydow say? He couldn't hear anything? He, he liked silent films? He said, I, I've grown to like silent films more because I can't hear anything. And everybody laughed. And he... Mm. Yeah. Mm. So he was watching more silent movies. Well, you know me. I have to have the closed captioning on everything, right? Like, I've got like... You know, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, Norman... Ran Over to the stage, leapt into his chair, acted all wiggly, and then heard every question and answered every question and rattled stuff off. He had the good fortune of being a tennis partner with Chaplin, and he got to be in Limelight. And Limelight's Chaplin's last, like, starring role. He blew off to Europe after that, right? Because he was getting chased by for being a lefty here in the States. And... I was watching this Keaton documentary the other night that Jennifer was noticing, and it was a Bogdanovich one he did a few years ago. But Norman Lloyd's in it, and the coolest, coolest part of the whole thought, well, not the coolest, but one of the coolest parts, in Limelight, Chaplin has a death scene at the end, and him and Keaton are old vaudeville comedians, so they get to actually do shtick together, they wear funny outfits, they hit each other in the head, they they, they, they do the slapstick that they is, never is, did. Is there the, footage of, of Max Linder and Chaplin yes. together? Yes. There's footage of them riffing together, but right, not doing in a movie. Doing each other, yeah, right? They, and they, they doing right. each other. In that movie, The Man with the Silk Hat, uh, they use that clip, which is a famous one, because Max Linder was a famous comic before Keaton, right, when Chaplin was huge. The gentleman dandy. Right. He wore a silk hat, a tall silk hat, and a, a long coat, and Chaplin wore the bum outfit, the tramp. And they they do each other, and uh, Max Linder was elegant and expansive and you know, fruity, and Chaplin does him with a big sweep of his hat, and then he does Chaplin with the, you know, <laughs> uh, Keaton and Chaplin don't do each other in the movie, but they do a bit together, and uh, Richard Lewis in the picture says he was friends with Eleanor Keaton, and Eleanor Keaton was Chap- uh, Keaton's last wife, and said, how did Chaplin treat him? And she said, great, he really treated him nice on the picture. You always hear that he cut him out or whatever, but the Norman Lloyd story is, to make a long story short, the last shot of the movie is Chaplin, and because it's Chaplin, it's fantastically maudlin. He dies on screen, and they put a thing <laughs> over him, right? And he's in the center of the screen, and he couldn't look behind the camera because he's in the scene. Keaton's on one side, and Norman Lloyd's on the other. And he said as he was dying, uh, and he wanted him to make sure that he was still, he goes, I heard Keaton whisper as the camera backed off, don't move now, you're center screen. Awesome. And that part was like, oh my god! Norman Lloyd remembered it, and he goes, well, "They were collaborating." You would, yeah, you would remember that. Oh yeah, he, that Keaton whispered to Chaplin on the last shot of the, like the dying awesome. shot. Yeah, he kind of when when we saw him speak about Hitchcock, he indicated that Hitchcock was not that concerned with his safety Mm-mm. in the, in shooting the scene where he's supposedly uh, falling off the Statue of Liberty. 
Yes. He had to kind of do a ballet move. Well, they didn't, they didn't drop him that far. No. And so he had to overdo the arm movements like he was grasping for Robert Cummings' arm, which is hilarious because it's the same ending as uh, Martin Landau falling off Mount Rushmore in... Uh, which is what? How many years later? Ten, twelve years later? Uh, when he falls off Mount Rushmore? I would just, just replace it with another monument. It's so great. The, uh, Saboteur is actually Norm- a really, Lloyd, really sexy movie. Norman Lloyd is a, a really obnoxious weasel in it. The best part of him as a saboteur is he's a thoroughgoing Nazi collaborator, and they make a lot of that because it's during the war. Then there's a scene where a boat blows up in the Thames. And they cut away to a taxi, and I think they did it afterward because he was doing such a good job with the role. And he just gloats. And well, it's just him. Right, that just happened. Yeah, the, it had really the, just happened. The boat fire happened. So they got a film with Coincidentally, it. Yeah. and he sneers like he's happy. So yeah, they cut to him like he set the like he's the one who set the bomb, the and boat it, on fire. And he's quite uh, rodentish. Oh, and, and unrepentant at the end. Yeah. When Rob Cummings finally runs him down at the top of the Statue of Liberty's torch. As you do. The top it could of the Statue of Liberty's torch. They've run up the arm. Into the also, the the wonderful unraveling of the sleeve. Right. And who was it who said it? Uh, uh, Didn't he say, ben, no. I should have gotten a better tailor? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it was... Right. They say Hitchcock was showing it to Ben Hackton, and they oh, said he, he should have gotten a better tailor. Because literally <laughs> his arm rips off the sleeve, and he flies down the... And Bob Cummings says, oh... And that's when Norman Lloyd does the... But he said Hitch had a really nasty sense of humor, you know? No. Like, he was, yeah. Uh, but he did give him... But the, then they worked together on the TV show. Yeah, the people that gave him work were John Houseman and Hitchcock. They really gave him... He produced a, a Hitchcock's TV show, which was really good and ran ever and ever, and it was called Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And then um, when he couldn't get any work in the um, uh, early 50s, Houseman uh, uh, gave him work directing and, and being in place and stuff. And put him up in a house. Yeah, he kind of gave him a place to live and everything. Fantastic. He aptly so, named Houseman. His son was still... Well, we've played uh, what was the theater that Houseman did all his plays here in L.A. because it's over... It's one of the Largos. It's the new Largo. And You, you uh, thought that he was English and he's from Brooklyn. I always thought he was English and they gave him elocution lessons Brooklyn. to get rid of his Brooklyn accent. Then, of course, for you St. Elsewhere people, he played the... Uh, the uh, doctor, the older doctor in St. Elsewhere, who was so popular that they'd written cancer into his role and they kept him on for six years. And he said, with the biggest <laughs> case of remission you've ever heard of, they gave him cancer at the beginning. And he's better like, now. He's better always. Oh, yeah. Julius Caesar, the one with the uh, Houseman. I, I think he was impatient with Wells. I think he thought mm-hmm. Hitchcock was a little nasty. Mm-hmm. I think he liked Chaplin and Keaton. Uh, there it is. Right. Ben Hacked. But Ben, ben Hacked's Hacked. a riot. Ben Hacked wrote the front page. and Ben Hacked wrote everything. Um, he was an ardent political liberal. Yep. That's the part According to the obituary in the Washington Post. But you know how much trouble that got you into? Here's a, a brilliant segue into my next topic. Um, yes. Norman Lloyd was, had integrity, and he didn't back off, and he was angry at people he had worked with that um, got called in front of the committee and, and gave up facts. Now, mind you, it's impossible for us to know the pressure that anyone was under when they were dragged in front of that committee because oh, yes. everybody well, lost also, gigs. As my understanding, there was a, a wonderful PBS uh, show years ago about... Marilyn Monroe's uh, influence 
uh, getting Arthur Miller a better deal. Right, she could protect him. And versus what went on with Ilya Kazan, who, who was a foreigner, was taken in at the beginning, mm. and that they were very different uh, in their treatment of people at the very beginning yeah. of it than at the end. Well, a lot of people got dragged in front, and a lot of people were blacklisted. It ruined loads and loads of lives. What was it about, ever so briefly, um, just like now, uh, except in a complete obverse world? There were fake allegations of people being communists and being against the government. Now you hear the word socialist. It's been substituted. It's the exact same mm-hmm. smear. Mm-hmm. Un-American, not real Americans, socialist, uh, lefty, uh, uh, radical policies. That's what was going on in the late 40s and 50s. And all it meant was you liked Roosevelt. Seriously. Mm-hmm. You supported Roosevelt. And you might have been slightly lefty in the 30s and 40s. And slightly lefty meant that you just didn't think that black people should but be segregated. People like... Paul Bowles yes. had to leave or, or chose to, to leave because they couldn't really work. You know, people who went maybe went to one meeting or knew somebody. I, I, I uh, went to see Lee Grant. I was going to say, why was Lee Grant and, and Lee Grant is how old now? 90-something, and yeah. she's still going. She's still going. She, uh, if you can hear her uh, give a talk, by all means go, because she's fascinating and so full of energy. And she said that she lived with someone who was going to communist meetings, and she got blacklisted. She got blacklisted for ages, too. In the Heat of the Night was her comeback, wasn't right? it? Right. A detective story, I think, is her last movie with Kirk Douglas, and she's awesome in that. And then we were watching Heat of the Night the other night, which is 67, 66, 67. And um, she's the wife in that, and she's just sensational. It was Haskell Wexler... Fortunately, when we how did it look, Greg? Uh, yeah, okay. So, didn't we tell that yeah, story? Yeah, I just love. Yeah, how did it look? How did it look? We, um, Haskell, we saw uh, Heat of the Night last last night, which was yeah. the best part of that one. Because yeah. we had literally seen it with Sidney Poitier in the theater the night before. Haskell, we saw Heat of the Night last night, and he went, how did it look? <laughs> and we went, great. The, this is uh, the, the ending of the Washington Post yes, uh, eulogy. Um, he said... He told the Star-Ledger at the time, but still, Saboteur, for example, when we were shooting this documentary, we went, we went down to the Battery Park to do a scene with the Statue of Liberty in back of me, and this old fellow was watching and watching from the edge, and finally he shouted, Hey, you, didn't you fall off that thing about 60 years ago? <laughs> so that's what pictures do for you. You live on. Yeah, you're And mortal. if anyone lives on... Norman Lloyd lives 106. on. 106. Oh, God. Dawn. Yeah, he's uh, Norman Lloyd is forever. And uh, like I say, it leads me cleverly into this next bit, which is the unreality of that position in the 40s and 50s, where Joe McCarthy was running around saying he had the names of communists and he carried a briefcase with him, and the number kept changing all the Ugh. time. It's very familiar to now mm-hmm. because Ted Cruz called a Democratic proposal to expand voting Jim Crow 2.0 today, which is what the Democrats have been calling their bills. Mm-hmm. Um, McConnell said uh, that he wasn't going to vote for the voting rights bill that's in front of the Senate because it, it would mean the Democrats would take power. So everything they're saying is a projection. It's very... Oh, and they're doing great, aren't they? Oh, and my they're, God. They're, they're, they're just... Uh, their numbers are just... Imploding. Yeah. They're, they, they have no numbers. Aren't they breaking up today? Didn't a hundred of them leave oh, well, and form you know, another that, party, the Mickey Mouse? We can only hope. Yeah, the, um, we're drifting slightly more to the right. 
who's with us. Hi, I'm Sally Kellerman. I have nothing to do politically with this, but I just wanted to be the voiceover for this ad. I mean, if if you're uh, disabled or trans or or LGBTQ or left-handed or, or wear spectacles, uh, well, that's redundant. But yeah, exactly. If if you if you, you wear glasses and read, uh-huh. if you believe in science, if uh, you don't just want uh, to be surrounded by rifles and, I guess, plastic bags of gasoline. Plastic bags of gasoline. They're having to be told not to hoard gasoline in, in plastic, plastic bags. bags. Uh, I guess that that's for the crowd that was contemplating bleach yes. to cure COVID. Well, there's a lot of denial going on right now and a lot of projection. And Clyde, the representative from Georgia, a representative from Georgia, today gave a very impassioned spiel about how the January 6th white riot and lethal insurrection and the one where they were chanting hang Mike Pence, uh, who was the vice president 445. Let's never forget the context of all of this. It was one of theirs. It said it didn't happen and then it was like a regular tour. So we're in that part now. We're in the, the Goebbels. We're denying the evidence of our own eyes and ears. The hideously the Orwellian part where you, you've seen it a hundred times. You've seen the Do guy in the mankini. when we were in Berlin mm. in the early 2000s yes. and there was there was a, a photo exhibit yep. of atrocities done by the army the army in the Germany. regular German army. yeah in, the, in Germany not the SS not the Gestapo right and they there was a, a march against it and uh, then the, the police were out mm-hmm. and we asked uh, the man at the desk at our hotel what was going on and he said I'll never forget. Yes. Some people are having problems with other people. <laughs> That's concierging. <laughs> That's what the word concierge means. There were, in fact, neo-Nazis there yeah. protesting that the atrocities committed by the regular German army during the war were being exploited. And exposed, you mean. Well, but they, didn't, they thought that wasn't the story. And then there were other people saying that Germany still needed to answer for all of the terrible things they had done and that this was simply an academic and informative exercise at a museum whereby it had taken till the early 2000s for them to come to grips with it wasn't simply the inner circle of the Nazis and their and their terror organizations, the SS and the Gestapo, but that everybody committed atrocities. Now, mind you, you could say this about any army, certainly uh, ours, and any army that's ever stood in a field. Um, but that some people are mad about other people is a classic of non-entity diplomacy. But everyone will deny... Well, you don't want to take a stand on good versus evil. Well, You want to equivocate. Oh, no, please quibble over this. <laughs> well, speaking of which, January 6th happened. And it was a lethal event that was organized by 45, his inner circle... Um, Mo Brooks, uh, 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 Gozar, Cruz, Hawthorne. I can you can go on and on about who abetted it. Gozar was the one, wasn't he? Whose family came out against him? Yes, all the other his- members of Paul Gozar's family. And by the way, he's a dentist the way Rand Paul's an eye doctor. And um, uh, uh, Adam Kinzinger, who likes to consider himself a rebel soul in the Republican Party, said he rang Kevin McCarthy and said, "There's going to be a, everything's going to hit the fan." I'm telling you. And McCarthy blew him off. And so, and it's to our everlasting shame that Kevin McCarthy is um, 
from California, but that's what goes on here too. So what are you getting at, Greg? Well, California is huge, and we have oh yeah, we're countries. We're densely we are countries. populated coast, and then there's the rest of California, not so much. You know. I love all the counties, Jennifer, because you know what? I sell tickets in almost every county in California. You know, See what I did? Some of the counties that have the most Lyme disease are some of the prettiest counties. Okay, very, no question. January 6th happened. Violence happened on that day. It was instigated by 45 and uh, a good deal of his government. The things they wanted to do were lethal against members of Congress, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. These are facts. That the police didn't act in time. That uh, uh, We heard Miller... Uh, uh, blathering today and Rosen blathering today about their inactivities in these regards and how they didn't really manhandle it at all. They just let 45 call all the shots. I really wonder how uh, people like uh, Representative Ted Lieu, who is our representative, uh, who's, who's a soldier, who served, yeah. uh, who's from Taiwan. Crow. Uh, he, oh, sorry. He, how he can manage to even listen to any of this. Well, he can't. I think he's furious the whole time Swalwell is. Ruben uh, Gallego. Gallego's a veteran. Crow, uh, Jason Crow was uh, looking for, what was it, a pen to stab someone in the eye with? Uh, that's Gallego said that he was looking Gallego. for a witch pen to defend himself with. So all of this happened, and what I want to get at is this. If you want to um, help... Uh, make sure that the truth keeps coming forward and that you don't ever listen to their talking points. They're and never always gonna... vote. I mean, it's so we, we're coming up to, you know, more elections. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear that, you, you know, like, oh, we got, you know, we got one great election. No, we have to keep, keep. The best part of their anti-democracy campaign that they're running by trying to do voter suppression everywhere is that it's bringing everyone into high relief with everyone. Mm-hmm. One, and two... Um, the things that they're doing, for instance, as we were talking about in Arizona today, um, there used to be this foolproof mail-in voter policy in Arizona. Well, they've decided to, like, if you don't renew after two years, you don't get to do it anymore. Well, old people are the people who do this, huh. and they tend to skew to be the white old people huh. that vote for... So they've managed, without much success, to engineer, redo things that were originally Republican initiatives. Mm-hmm. The voting by mail thing in Arizona and Florida were all about getting people over 70, 65 to vote. And now they've queered that mm-hmm. by doing this. They've absolutely reversed themselves. For the sake of what, owning me? Look, I'm owned. You know, I'm here in Hollywood, I'm high, I'm owned, okay? I love gay people. There, I've said it. <laughs> I, I don't care if a trans person is president. Now you've owned me. Um, it's not going to work. And demographics are against them, and even well, the corporations. That's the thing. Are- this is why the fight has gotten so extreme and so crazy, because they're simply losing the population stakes. And when when his approval ratings are uh, Biden and Harris's approval ratings are through the roof the last few weeks. I mean, obviously, because we're well, about to this. we're to- about to go out again. We're about to have a life again. It's to- all because of them. Today, Biden announced his new judicial nominations, and one of them was the first Native American federal judge in Washington State. Ever? Or in Washington State? Okay. And she's uh, from the Creek Nation Mm -hmm. uh, in Oklahoma, and it's all these firsts. And he also nominated the first... She's for the Circuit Court of Appeals, and he nominated the second black woman to serve on the Second Circuit. Awesome. He also nominated uh, two people for the U.S. Post- Postal Board. 
Because we need to yeah. get rid of Louis DeJoy. That traitor appointee. But it's all happening and it's really happening as fast as as it possibly could to redress the horror of the preceding years. And the carnage. Let's be really honest. What the not only the the pandemic took a human toll that like only I think other generations could perceive as World War Two or World War Yes. I. It's that bad. Yes. And you don't we don't have to fool ourselves about it. We don't have to be maudlin about it, but it's been a, as terrible a thing as you're ever going to go through in your life, the casualties of this, and what it did to restructure everything. So I don't feel bad about it. I feel proud that 250 million people have been inoculated in since January 20th. And now... Uh, since, right? I mean, he managed to get that done. Now uh, over 12s can get the vaccine. Oh, my God. So anyone over 12 years old, and also now it's... a. Uh, you, you can get, you don't have to make an appointment. Mm-mm. It's easy. And they're thinking, I think California's going to uh, be in the groove by like the middle of June, is, is what they're talking about. Uh, I mean, I think caution is best. And I'm wearing a mask outside and I'm still wearing one. And I'm wearing one if I go to the barber, I'm wearing one if I go to a bookstore. It's not about me. It is about me. It's about you. It's about everybody. It's when about you wear one, community. you're. You, the mitigation of two people wearing a mask in an enclosed space well, together is how, a million percent. How many people have talked about that they had diminished allergies, that they didn't get a cold? It's nothing, no, I didn't get a cold. It's this not year. a I, bad you thing. You know me. I get a cold twice yeah. a year, whatever, a flu. And it is not a bad thing to wear a mask in a crowded space. No, I was no already. What. I was already on the. Uh, I not. Ryan Styles is a hand sanitizer person, but we mind you, we touch a lot of people when we're on the road. How do you mean that, Greg? I mean, we make love to them. We we spank them. No, I mean, after shows, we shake hands with everybody and take pictures. And um, in order to get back to that, and if you come to the podcast, I would shake hands with everybody for the show, give them, talk to them, give them stickers, take pictures. In order to get back to that, we have to. I think we found out, too. Wear masks and wash our hands and make that happen. Americans could really up their cleanliness. Cleanliness game. No, it needs to be more Scandinavian. You know, I know that I'll be I, honest. It I, needs to be more Scandinavian. I have to admit that before this, I didn't scrub the tile in the entryway with bleach, mm-hmm. like I have done periodically yeah. now. But I mean, there's just you know, come on, people. Everything's too dirty. Wash, wash, wash your hands. I'm a big proponent of the foil pouches uh, that have alcohol pads in them. And it's because of the planes I've been on the last million years. After my thumb operation, I started carrying them with me. And then you'll find yourself on a plane that's so small they don't have soap and water. Well, it also kills me that people don't think about people with compromised immune systems that maybe you know you don't even they don't look like maybe they they have an issue but you have to be aware that there's people around you with with lupus with with whatever heart condition condition. recovering from cancer and it's everywhere it's everywhere it's not it's in the drugstore it's in the mcdonald's that's what i don't get about being mean about shaming people who are wearing a mask it's not a political thing it doesn't mean i'm a liberal Conservatives can wear masks, too. Naughty girls need love, too. I think Samantha Fox asserted that wow. at one point. during. Uh, but in any case... Uh, during the Falklands? During the Falklands War. And that's what sustained them against the, that concerted effort of the Malvinas <laughs> to take over England. Um, <laughs> Much like, as our friend Richard Vranch pointed out, the, the farmer who moved the stone marking the Belgian... 
No, you have to go back a little bit. There was a, a farmer in Belgium who moved the stone, which is the border between France is it? Yeah. and Belgium. And, and, and the farmer moved it so that the actual border was... And someone came along yeah, and reported but, him. But this is where it goes awry for me, because what kind of horrible snoop is checking out where you put the border You marker. said the words Ted Cruz earlier in the podcast. There's plenty of he people would do that, yeah. who were at the Ted Cruz Well, like level. Ryan, when, when uh, the governor of Georgia claimed that he was Kemp. taking a boat and and uh, to surmise the situation on the border. And it's border? like, but you're in Georgia. Your border's Alabama. You're, you're in Georgia. <laughs> it's a land boat that you're taking. No. This yeah. doesn't make any sense. Look, I can see Mexico. Get your telescope. Yeah, they would definitely be checking on, on the, the stone well, marker Jennifer, in someone's field. Yesterday, I was looking at Japan. What? I managed to look over the curvature of the earth from here. Mm-hmm. And Tokyo seemed like it was just next door. You could see Tokyo. Mm. Like Sarah Palin could see Russia. I could see Tokyo. I've had this story on, on my desk for a while, and I just thought it was beautiful because there's been so many healthcare workers that have just gone above yeah. and beyond. They, they're putting their lives on the line. And this was from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And a Philadelphia nurse practitioner spends his nights rushing across the city to bring vaccinations to people who are housebound. Wow. You know, the elderly, the ill. People can't get out. Uh, His name is Tariq Khan. And he goes to his car with the syringes that are left over. And he has six hours, it says, to get them into the arms of Philadelphia's most vulnerable residents. And what a beautiful thing. Right, that we know people that are housebound. Is that the Inquirer you're reading? Yeah, the Philadelphia Inquirer. It's Ellie Silverman uh, who wrote this article. Uh, and she followed him to uh, an 80-year-old's house, Patricia Dorsey, who's visually impaired and lives alone. Right. And so how else is she supposed to get right. the she vaccination? Can't get out. She can't go out to the CVS I mean, or whatever. we know people that, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if they still have been vaccinated, who are housebound. Right. We have we have friends that are, uh, yeah. are in, and this is a situation. in a situation and, where they can't get out. And so he's taking it upon himself to, to go out and do that. And this says Beautiful. that just in Philadelphia, there's 7,400 homebound residents. Oh, God. So he's trying to do all of them? Yeah. I'm sure well, there's maybe not, a few he, of them. I mean, he's doing the people around uh, his area, the, the medical center he works at. Why don't people really need to understand the breadth of this, like you say, pointing that out, 7,400 in Philadelphia, that means there's millions. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking about Crip Camp earlier, and they're Which really worth a follow such a great on. documentary. Yeah, on Twitter, they're, they're still advocates, all of them. Yes. And uh, it, it, it's not that people with disabilities are this extra burden, it's that people with disabilities need to be, and I think Biden's done a decent job of it, uh, really included all the time in the dialogue, you know. When I see scooters laying across the sidewalk, Blocking wheelchairs' paths. That's the first thing I think. Or, or we have a, a woman who, by the way, is super, super sassy cat on the next block, mm-hmm. who's in her 90s, and she uses a walker now. Right. I loved when uh, right, we saw her the day before the election. Yeah. And she, and she said she was praying. Right, because we had our Biden. Biden. Uh, we had our Biden-Harris <laughs> Biden-Harris. Yeah, and there she was I, praying. I mean... That woman, she doesn't miss a thing. No. She voted for Roosevelt. <laughs> and uh, where's her vaccination? 
Well, I just mean that that we need to think about our neighbors that are elderly, that are infirm, that are disabled, whatever. We have to look out for them. And that's that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And it's a beautiful thing when, uh, you know, like you were talking about this gentleman on the Inquirer. There's nothing more worthy than going to find people who can't get out to get the vaccination. I mean, those are people who want it, too. I'm so tired of reading and hearing about the people who don't want so it much and don't access. believe in it. Access. Right. Everything's access. Everything's access. I mean, it was awful to read about uh, privileged white people lining up at a clinic in uh, Florida, was it? Well, no, in L.A. and in, in neighborhoods where... The locals, oh right, couldn't get should have priority. Let me just uh, jump onto another thing here for just one moment. Uh, Purvis Staples is uh, swirling in the heavens. You may have heard of him because he's in a group called the Staples Singers. We've often talked about his sister Mavis. Purvis is her brother, and he sings the high part. Right? Isn't that wild? He was in the group. He had his own. Um, Nightclub. Like his daddy, became an entrepreneur. And I'm looking for the. What do I have here? He. Mavis had a hilarious quote today about him. She said he was completely fly. Yeah, she said he was fly. Um. Here it is. Go on. Mavis said in a statement, Purvis was one of a kind, comical and downright fly. He would want to be remembered as an upright man, always willing to help and encourage others. He was one of the good guys and will live on as a true Chicago legend. Purvis Staples. Purvis said we'd trick him. The audience would be looking for me to come up with the low part. I'd come up to the mic and switch over at the last second, and Mavis would step up. That messed them up, but it woke up the crowd when Mavis did the low part. Mavis said her brother's youth was filled with wonderful experiences, noting that some of his best friends were Sam Cooke, Lou Rawls, and Jerry Butler. They would stand under the lampposts in the summertime singing songs. Just fantastic. Imagine how awesome that was. It's like the history of American music.
Mavis's voice is so elemental and right? curative. It, it was Purvis who introduced them to Bob Dylan. He was friends with Bob Dylan. Wow. Who then, of course, fell in love with Mavis. Uh-oh. Um, he left the Staples Singers. Yeah. Because, as she said, he didn't want to listen to Pops all the time. <laughs> He'd been in the Army. Um, he got tired of being... Uh, thought of his daddy's son and then he managed uh, the emotions mm. and opened a nightclub and was inducted which has the most unlikely name of any Perv's place I believe it's called Perv's house Perv's house <laughs> um, he was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Staple Singers in 98 I should come go uh, their sound an irreplaceable is part of so American music. soothing and gorgeous. Purvis Staples. Uh, what? We did that one. I don't know if I want to talk about this one. Do you? Uh, can I end with? Uh, yes, please. The if I can find it, um, Ron Carter. Oh yes, please. Ron Carter's birthday. We played some Ron Carter last week, didn't we? We can always play Ron Carter. <laughs> one of our family favorites. Um, he picked... This, is, this article is from the Detroit Free Press from several years ago. But what I thought was awesome is because he's often said to be the bass player with the most recordings. So these are his... Upwards of... A- 2200, 2500, 2200. So these are his 10 favorites. Oh, okay. And since are you he gonna play any is that? the discerning mm-hmm. man. Spin some of that, yeah. Um, this is the first Miles. First up is Wes Montgomery. Oh, Wes Montgomery. 1961. Really? So much guitar is the name and of it? And then Miles Davis. Yes. Seven Steps to Heaven. Right. Um, Eddie Harris. Yeah. The in sound. Are you going to spin any? Yeah. This is a uh, Roberta Flack. Okay. This is Eddie Harris. What? The in sound. I love it. The theme song for the movie The Sandpiper. That Jack Shelton did. Mm-hmm. What I love is, uh, Ron Carter said, I didn't really figure it out until I got back to the hotel because I couldn't read what I wrote. Perfect storm. Please read that quote at the end. We had a great time, and the music had its own way about it. If you want to hear a perfect storm, that's a good one to hear that. Eddie makes a band do what he wants them to do by playing the way he does. Just listen to that. Right? Mm. Right? It's just gorgeous. Then uh, Roberta Flack. Yeah. First take. Her Was this her first record? From 1969. Uh, the debut LP, yes. Yeah. Roberta Flack. Listen to the bass line there. We probably don't play her enough. Less than can. 
and Bucky Pizzarella. Her version so boss. Possession is the motivation. Hanging up the whole damnation. Looks like we always end up in a rush. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Compared to what? This quote is awesome. Ron Carter says, When singers ask how to get better, I say listen to singers who play piano. Carmen McRae, Shirley Horn, Roberta Flack, Sarah Vaughn, and Blossom Deary. I never saw Roberta Flack, but we saw Blossom Deary. Yeah, we did. I wished I'd seen Sarah Vaughn. Right? His list is just... It, oh, a, the breadth and scope. Uh, uh, Joe Beams. I love this album. Flower. Our friend Brian gave me this album. It's, it's just Here, yeah, spin that. This is bossa nova. So tasteful. God, so we've had Roberta Flack. None of this is jazz yet. What? The first one was Shadow Your Smiles, kind of a. I love that he. These are his favorites, by the way. Mm-hmm. Out of the twenty-two hundred. Jovim. It's always so romantic. Right? Who wants a drink? I love that that, uh, this is after he had his base repaired. The man is is nothing if not completely in charge of his entire... Oh, are you listening to the bass line? Instrument. By the way, he's smoking a cigarette in silhouette on the album. Oh, Shabim, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, And being great looking. Yeah. Suit and ties, look back hair. Right, he's inventing uh, louche supper clubs. He's inventing Brian Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> then. Oh, his voice. Yeah, I just want Classic. I love Boston Nova so much. Well, it just lulls you, right? That's kind of singing, too. Right? And it's Brazil. So he was using an extension on the bass that allowed him to play a super low C. I thought we saw him play super low. What's this well, one? Ron Carter solo? All alone. Solo bass recordings. All right. Spin that shit. Wait a minute. Have oh. you turned Brazil off? Brazil's still going. <laughs> we got two going at once here, ladies and gentlemen. No extra fee for this. <laughs> You pay the same low, low price you always do. No, you have to turn it up more. It's way low. If you're going to play solo bass and drive our audience from us. <laughs> we've seen him play solo bass, though, and he's riveting. Riveting. You're cranking up a little. Wait, someone's on guitar here. 
Or is it him? It's him. Wow. He said this record was a chance to try some of these sounds out. Just me. It's just him. I'm being an idiot. There's nothing but him. Listen to that. By the way, he's still he's teaching classes. Oh, I get his emails every day, Jennifer. <laughs> There's also something that he can't be explained by listening, and that's when you see him live. His hands are immense and uh, elegant, and he's expressive in his fingering mm-hmm. of the bass, mm-hmm. and um, is most sensitive. And it's a really wonderful experience because he isn't an artist who's flashy he's an artist who his art draws you into what he's doing well i think that you get that he he's a teacher very much so, it, so At least it's, a virtuoso. it's always um here he is uh this is i think the the last choice here is was this bach oh, that's here? Not, ah! no they're not, not gonna, I mean, gonna let you play that one it was what about bach what's that one that's the one that oh I they can't. won't let you play what about this one this is another this is a bossa nova okay with uh, Rosa Passos, a Brazilian singer. Okay. Is this going to be breathy and sexy and make me want to... What? Is that your hand? <laughs> Am I sitting in your lap? I love that he is talking about in this rundown of his favorites about... Responding to singers, I know, he and he loves says, singing. and he says, mimicking her phrasing in the next four measures. Yeah. Oh my God, her singing. Mm-hmm. Well, like everything he does, it's completely sincere and intimate. And I I feel it's so transcendent, her... Healing, right? If you're going to listen to something that is just going to... People always ask, if I don't like jazz, what should I listen to first? And I always feel like Brazilian jazz is a great place to start because it's never boring and it's always emotional and encompassing it engrosses you immediately because of its intimacy and they have a special way to and Ron Carter's a classical musician and a jazz musician and he's so great now that we've heard several Brazilian albums the the wild thing about the fact that he's been on 2200 uh, speaks to his and more but he said in, in each of these, he breaks down why he chose the project. He's not just accepting any project that well, comes his way. Well, everybody wants you, but you took the gigs because yeah. you... Yeah. 
He says this was one of his students was helping produce this record. And at first he said, I, no, I don't know what this is. I said, no, man, I don't know these people. And then? And then he figured out, he found out that one of his students was involved and he, uh, he listened to it. No, the student gave him the pitch. And then he said, okay, I'm in. Uh, we can end with this because I think it's beautiful, baby. Remember a couple things. Mark Elias runs a thing called Democracy Docket. You may want to follow him because that's all about the voter suppression that um, all the different state legislatures are uh, trying to sell us. Is Gavin Newsom going to be recalled now? No. But we have to fight, fight, fight for what's right, right, right. It's Anyone colossal. Anyone that doesn't uh, like Governor Newsom or the mayor of L.A. and lives in L.A. or California for Governor Newsom, um, look at the past governors and mayors. Yeah. And then reass- you know, assess... We've lived here a little while, and I think we can say with some assertion that um, Newsom and uh, Garcetti are the best of of our. uh, uh, Jerry Brown was quite a good governor. Uh, You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Jennifer's the smartest woman in the world. We're getting haircuts tomorrow. It's pretty exciting. Get your vaccinations, you guys. Please. Don't listen to the chatter and the disinformation, and I love you. May every page you turn be a satchel page. Listen to Bob Kendrick's Black Diamonds oh, podcast yeah. on Spotify. It's called Black Diamonds. He's breaking it down. This week he talks to a bunch of different... Cece Sabathia, um, Dave Stewart, oh, and, wow. and David Price, who are all Black 20-game winners in the big leagues. It's a designation that our... Uh, we, we've met him, but he wasn't able to come to the last one we did. And that was... Mudcat Grant uh, wrote a book called Black Aces. And the, the theme of the book is all the black pitchers who pitched in the big leagues that have won over 20 games in a wow. season. I'm so and glad it's, that it's we got to meet club. him. Uh, we've met Mudcat and we met Smoke Stewart and... Um, Dave Stewart is the nicest person. Well, that's this he week's... And his wife are just... Oh, they're the greatest. Yeah, they're great. Um... Smoke won 20 games four times for the Oakland Athletics during their gigantic run, including beating the San Francisco Giants' ass into the ground in the 1989 World Series. The point is this. Uh, Bob Kendrick has a podcast, um, but it's not just a podcast. It's a really informative podcast. Um, We're the jumping off points the Negro Leagues, but the truth is it's about like everything that the Negro Leagues is about, society and and everything. Um, the first ones were about Jackie, which I thought was really nice because they're talking about how he's the most important figure in baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways he is, obviously. Babe Ruth's grand and everybody's grand, but Jackie does the thing that isn't done. And he's the one that makes the cataclysmic change. And everybody asked so much of him. And I think that's what makes... That a wonderful starting off point. Also, the anniversary of the share. And in any case, uh, uh, meeting his daughter Sharon Robinson and the the grace, the 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 mission that she set herself on. The question that she's she, so impressive. The well, family is so impressive. The question she asked when um, we were at the uh, the press conference for the Negro League Hall of Game that year, she. We were all these. She put everybody on the spot. Right, all these stars were there. Um, 
Dave Stewart and Dave Parker and Eric Davis and Fred McGriff. And she said, what are you doing for children? And all of them to a person were they doing... They had an answer. ...were doing something. Including, as you recall, Dave Stewart and his wife um, were trying to get people out of detention, and ICE detention and whatnot. Um, no, they were going to the hospital and helping... Uh, Dave Stewart's wife's brother is a emergency room doctor. Ah. They were actually helping with the medical care of uh, children at the border. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah. Well, Sharon Robinson couldn't have been nicer. And yes, she signed books for me because that's the person I am. I looked over her shoulder when she was ordering groceries for her mother. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Hopefully we'll be back uh, at the Negro League Museum. Uh, in any case, listen to Bob's show. Um, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. I'll tee it up again. Jennifer's the smartest woman in the world. Well, I'm the smartest man in the world. What? Jennifer's the smartest woman in the world. <laughs> What's happening? You're the smartest crowd in the world. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a uh, cool public bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Nick Franklin wrote this. He is one of our favorite people.